Well, this morning we're nearing uh, the middle of our series called A Charge to Keep, where we're looking at commandments that Jesus has given us to follow. And unlike uh, the Old Testament law, which was given by God and He commanded people to follow without the benefit of the Holy Spirit indwelling them, when Jesus says to His disciples uh, to follow these commandments, He recognizes that they are unable to do it unless they uh, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and obey Him. And so this morning, again, we're in uh, the Sermon on the Mount where a number of His commands are given. And this one is from chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, and Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and so that your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. In 1935, the height of the Depression, New York City was led by a mayor that we all know, at least we know his name, if you, have, if you fly at all around New York, you either go into JFK or maybe, just maybe, you've gone into LaGuardia. Mayor LaGuardia was mayor during the Great Depression. He actually was mayor all the way into the mid-1940s. One of the things that marked him as a significant man in that city was that uh, he was loved by almost everybody. He's a little over five feet tall, used to wear a carnation, they used to call him Little Flower. But one of the reasons they loved him so much is the police in particular because he'd go on raids with them. The firemen loved him because he would often go into uh, blazes with them. Orphans liked him because he would take them to Yankee games several times during the season. And then, when the newspapers would go on strike, he would go on the radio and read comics to kids. But of all the things Mayor LaGuardia did, there's one thing that uh, many people remember from that era, and even those that don't live in that era know it. One night in mid-January, he went to night court, small claims court. The first thing he did was he told the judge to take the night off and he would listen to the cases. He had been on the bench for a few minutes when they brought this grandmother in in tattered clothes. The charge against her was stealing a loaf of bread. The grocer was there. His attorney was there. Public defender was there. Others were in the courtroom. LaGuardia said to the woman, why did you steal that bread? And she said, well, my daughter and her two children live with me because she's been deserted by her husband. And they're all hungry. I had no money. And so I stole the bread. LaGuardia said to the grocer, are you willing to drop the charges? I mean, after all, listen to this woman's plight. The grocer said, not on your life, Your Honor. I can't do that. I live in a, we live in a bad neighborhood. Our store's in a bad neighborhood. If we let her off, then everybody will come and think they can steal bread. LaGuardia sighed and looked at the woman and said, he's absolutely right. 
I must execute judge justice. Justice says, the law says, $10 or 10 days in jail. You must pay this fine. And then he reached into his pocket and pulled out a 10 and put it in his large sombrero. He said, I'm remitting her fine. But justice requires something else. And he said, Bailiff, I want you to take my hat all through this courtroom, and I want to charge everybody 50 cents for living in a city where a grandmother has to steal bread. And when he finished collecting, he had $47.50. And when they gave it to the woman, the newspapers the next day said, not only did the grocer pay 50 cents, but so did all the cops, all the petty thieves, everyone in the courtroom, even, again, the judge himself, the mayor. And when they handed the woman the $47.50, the place exploded with applause. Somebody has said the Bible, from the front cover to the back cover, is all about justice. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word justice is used 200 times. And it always has the same meaning, giving people their due. So let me ask you something. If the Bible is all about justice, from the front cover to the back, then why is it that so many of us as Christians withhold justice from others? In 1979, Mother Teresa won the Nobel Peace Prize. She went to Norway to receive it. When she got there, she came to the dais and she said, I'm completely unworthy. I was simply doing in Calcutta what Jesus did when He walked the face of the earth and no one on earth gave Him a prize. And then she told this story. A few days ago, I received $15 from a man who has been on his back for 20 years. He cannot move any of his appendages except his right hand. And with it, he attends to his constant companion, and that's a cigarette. His only companion is smoking. And so he sends me a note, or someone does, his name is on it, and with this message, I do not smoke for one week, I send you this money. Fifteen dollars. And then she continued, it must have been a terrible sacrifice for him, but see how beautiful he shared it. And with that money, I was able to buy bread and give it to those who are hungry with joy happening on both sides. He received joy for giving, and those who are hungry received joy in receiving. She got $190,000 the Nobel Peace Prize. You know what she did with it? She built houses for lepers. Now listen to what the psalmist says. Blessed is he whose help is in God, the God of Jacob, the one who keeps faithful forever, who executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. You know what that means? That means in January of 1935, Mayor LaGuardia looked in that moment just like the God of Jacob. You know what that means? That means 
day after day, week after week, year after year in Calcutta, that woman, Mother Teresa, when she ministered justice to the poor, looked just like the God of Jacob. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Right after he says, be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect, then he gives another command that shows us exactly how that is possible. So let's dig in. First of all, notice the method. Look at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by men. You know, all through the Old Testament, Israel was surrounded by other cultures with gods and God. And every one of those gods of the other cultures always were on the side of the elite. The kings, the wealthy, the priests, the captains of the army. Therefore, to oppose the king or the rich or the uh, well-endowed was to oppose the gods. To be on the sides of the gods meant you were on the sides of the haves, not the have-nots. And yet the God of Israel is exactly the opposite. When you read the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, you see that God is on the side, not of the high and mighty, not of the rich and powerful, but His target of favor is on the widows and the orphans and the poor and the strangers. That's why Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them. Now that word righteousness is also translated alms, but it literally means to be compassionate. It's exactly the same word that some of the gospel writers use to refer to Jesus when they call Him the Son of Compassion. Now, according to the Jews, every member of the covenant was required to to do three acts of compassion on a regular basis, and the first act was to give to the needy. For the Jews, to give to the needy was an act of godliness. In other words, if you wanted to act like God, you would give to the needy. They knew that to be rightly related to the poor was to be rightly related to the God of Jacob. That's why in Israel, they required that every seventh year, all of the crops go unharvested so that the needy could go out and they could harvest the crops, taking all that they needed and then selling the rest. Every third year, a tenth of every harvest was to be given to the widows, the fatherless, and the strangers in the land. Every year, at seven festivals, there was to be a sharing of resources that so, no one would go needy. And at those festivals, there would be a trumpet that would be sounded, and when it was sounded, everyone was to come running with their gifts. So that's what Jesus means here when He talks about don't sound a trumpet. In other words, what He means is give to the needy even when you don't hear the trumpet sound. But notice in all of this, Jesus assumes that we will give to the needy. He assumes that we will act on their behalf. He assumes we'll act with equity, we'll not withhold from them what they're due. And yet the truth is, so many of us ignore the needy. For most Christians, the only need they really recognize are their own. 
I mean, this week I talked to a man who used to live in a cushy suburb, and he moved to a poor neighborhood. And when he moved there, a local paper did an article on him, and the reporter said, in all of my reporting, I've never known anybody to move from there to here. How do you explain it? He said, well, first and foremost, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I began to recognize that I spent a lot of time on my deck, and it was out back, and I had huge bushes around so nobody could see me. Here we have front porches so we can sit on it and talk to our neighbors. Out there, it's plastic. In here, it's real. Out there, it was all about me. Here, it's all about them. That doesn't mean everybody that lives in a poor neighborhood gives to the poor and needy, but this guy does, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. The Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, I want you to move. I want you to move about 12 miles. I want you to go from there to here so that you might practice compassion on a regular basis. Second, notice the motive. Look at verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. You know what the rabbis used to say? Anyone who gives alms or gives to the needy in secret is greater than Moses. You know why they said it? Because almost nobody did it. (laughs) One rabbi said, whenever I give to the needy, I throw it over my shoulder so I'm not even able to see who picks it up. In the temple, they had a a chamber of silence. It was a room where you could come and bring your gifts and leave them silently, and then when you would leave, someone that had need would go in silently and pick it up. Nobody knew. But notice, Jesus here isn't so much concerned about the sight of the gift or the sound of the gift. What What He cares about is the motive And in the Gospels, Jesus talks about three particular motives for giving. First of all, there's giving out of duty. Mark and Luke tell the time when Jesus, late in His ministry, is sitting by the treasury of the temple, and He sees a woman, a widow, after seeing a whole host of people give large sums of money, He sees this widow come with two mites. You know what two mites represented? Two percent of a day's wage. And she puts it in the treasury. Jesus immediately calls his disciples and says, you see that woman over there? She has given more than anyone else. And then he tells why. He says, because they gave out an abundance, she gave out her poverty. But then Mark adds another line. Jesus said, she out of her poverty has given everything she has, all that she has to live on. You see what he's saying? The difference between that woman and all the others that gave is they gave out of duty and she gave out of love. She gave everything she had. We'll talk about her again in a minute. The other reason Jesus says forgiving, which is bad, and that that is to be proud. Somebody has said Christians are a strange lot. We hear about the command to give We even see a glimpse of its beauty, and then when we begin to give, we dream about what others will think of us when they see what we give. 
One time, John Kennedy, as president, was in the National Cathedral, and the offering plate was passed, and he never carried money. And so he nudged Dean Rusk, his secretary of state, and said, hey, Dean, how about some money? Dean pulls out a 10, and he shakes his head and said, no, don't you have something bigger? I want the people to see what a generous president they have. <laughs> Jesus said, sound no trumpet. Call no attention to yourself. Put to death the motive of duty and pride and give to the needy out of gratitude. Now, let me just add, I've known people that have said to me, I'm giving you this totally and honestly. I want no one to hear about it. And I've known people to say that for two reasons. One is because they honestly mean it. They don't want any attention. The other is they want me to know that they don't want any attention. And that brings us to the third point. Notice the meaning. Look what he says in verses 3 and 4. But when you give to the needy, do not know, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, what's he mean when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing? What he means is, Listen to your heart. There are times when the Holy Spirit will move your heart to give. He'll urge you to open your hand to the needy and your mind will come in and shut it down. There are times the Holy Spirit will urge you to give. And what Jesus is saying, do it before your mind gets engaged and you say, I'm not sure I should do that. I think of the widow. She gave everything she had to live on. How do you think she did that? She did that as an act of her heart, not her mind. I know a guy who says, uh, when I was a kid, giving was easy. From an early age, my parents taught me that it was one dime out of every dollar. But as over the years, as I got more money, it was no longer simply a dime or two. It was a lot. I began to hesitate. One dime out of every dollar was starting to add up, and as I began to evaluate, I began to hesitate, because I, and I concluded my problem wasn't greed, it was fear. I feared that I wouldn't have enough. You know where that fear comes from? Your mind. Your mind says, I must be careful. Your mind says, I worked hard for this. Nobody else is going to take care of me. Your mind says, I must depend on myself. I can't depend on anyone else. And then this, a friend in ministry said this, I rarely encounter any resistance from people when I say, you really need to nurture your relationship with God who loves you. But the brakes come on when I begin to tell them one of the best ways to start is by giving away your money. You see, that woman had no brakes. And what Jesus is saying is, when the Holy Spirit has His way with you, there will be times when the Holy Spirit will urge you to give, and your heart will say yes, and if you listen to your heart, you'll give it. And what Jesus is saying is, give it before your hand can slip it back in your pocket. You say, but why would Jesus call us to be so impulsive? Because He knows that's the way faith grows. 
Faith grows by listening to the urging of the Holy Spirit and then turning away from yourself and toward Him. Faith is leaning away from you and into Him. Faith is saying, you know better than I, you know what I need, and probably right now what I need, because your Holy Spirit's urging me to give, is to give it away so that you can do growth in my heart, in my spirit, in my very soul. A few hundred years ago, George Herbert, the poet, pastor, was scheduled to play with the London Symphony Orchestra. He had looked forward to it for months, and on his way to the concert hall, he saw a man whose cart was stuck in the mud. And he felt compelled to help him get his cart out of the mud, and it took two hours. And when he arrived at the concert hall, everyone had gone. The concert was over. He was covered from head to toe in mud. The director saw him and said, George, you missed all the music. George smiled and said, but I'll have a song in my heart at midnight. You know, it's an interesting thing in these few verses, four verses, he uses the same word three times, the words reward. And you can read that in English and say, yeah, Jesus uses the word reward three times. But you know something? When you look at it in Greek, he uses two different words for reward. The first two times, it's the word that means getting a reward for services rendered. What he says is, when you give so that others others see you, You've got your reward. That's a one-time gift. It's it's a gift or, or it's a payment for a gift rendered. But in verse 4, when he uses the word reward, it's a totally different word. When he says, when you give in secret, when you give out of your heart in obedience to the urgings of the Holy Spirit, you don't, get ju- you don't get paid just once. You get paid over and over and over again. It's a word that literally means to be delivered again and again and again. And so what Jesus is saying is, when you give in secret, when you give yielding to the urgings of your heart because of the work of the Holy Spirit, Your reward will come again and again and again. You know what the Jews used to say? Giving to the needy delivers our soul from death. You know what kind of death? A death that looks like a cold, hard heart. It delivers our soul from deadness. It purges our souls from selfishness. It gives people their due. But more than that, It makes us a perfect tool in the hands of the Lord. In other words, what Jesus is saying is you have perhaps even more need of the needy than they have for you. Think about that. Amen.